This is the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Gallagher Jr. Special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his song, The Coach. You can catch Steve on steveazar.com. Find us on Instagram at Only One Shot Golf or email us at onlyoneshotgolf at gmail.com. Today I got World Golf Hall of Famer Judy Rankin on the podcast. We're so excited to have her. She uh, grew up in St. Louis, turned pro at 17, won 28 times on the LPGA 26 official TV analyst, Solheim Cup. The, the list goes on. It would take us an hour to get to that. So we're excited to have her, and we're going to try to get her on the phone. All right, we got World Golf Hall of Famer Judy Rankin on the phone. Judy, welcome to the podcast. Well, hi, Jim. I'm glad to be with you. This is great. Yeah, we haven't seen each other forever with this crazy pandemic, but we get to work together in Arkansas at the Walmart. I'm looking forward to that. But uh, I guess I always ask my my guests, who got you started? I think it was your dad that got you started in the game, wasn't it? My father got me started. He was, um, and I think the reason he was kind of a, he was a very middle of the road, not very good golfer himself, played public course golf. And um, he was a huge fan of Ben Hogan. Oh, he really? really? He he just, um, he loved, he loved the way he played golf. And, you know, he, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you saw much on TV then. It would probably be film. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, and he was fascinated with his powers of concentration. Um, so um, it was at the same time that St. Louis first had um, a driving range with lights where you could go at night. Okay. And uh, the first time I hit a golf ball, he had taken my mother and I. We were watching him hit it, and I was six. Wow. And I wanted to hit the ball. And so the tee was kind of up high. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, the where you hit from. Right. It was kind of up on a hill. And um, and I wanted to hit the ball, and it turned out I kind of could. And because of the where the tee was, you know, every shot I hit went in the air. Right, right. So, um, yeah. No, that's so, kind of that's, that's um, kind of that that's kind of cool that you have a driving range. I think it's so important when they're building driving ranges to have an elevated tee, don't you? Yeah, I think any, anything that builds your confidence, even just a little bit, that keeps you um, wanting to do more rather than just beat the heck out of you, which is what the game certainly can do. No, oh, absolutely um, good. Yeah, and you know, you you talk about you fall in love with it. You win the women's state am at age fourteen. Uh, and then one more time before you turn pro. What was that like winning at such a young age? That had to be an amazing feat for you. Um, it was it was relatively unexpected, I would tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, my father sent me to play in um, Springfield, Missouri, mm-hmm. and um, they had a family for me to stay with and all. I mean, I, when I was 14... I was really 14. I weighed 80 pounds. Oh, my. And, um, uh, so it was kind of unexpected that I was play, I would play as well as I did, but I did, and I and I won. Yeah, that's it's so cool because, I mean, you, you get that, that success. And I was reading, I believe it was the uh, British Am or something. You went over there, didn't have such a good uh, time over there, and you thought about quitting. You even picked up a fishing rod. That's a page right out of our friend Bruce Litsky's book, but... Uh, uh, but yeah. you, but you turned pro at seventeen, and and that had to be kind of a intimidating uh, time of your life to be turning pro so young. But you know you you loved the game. But what was it like turning pro at such a young age? 
You know, Jim, there's so many factors, and it was, you know, there were there were good things about it and bad things about it. There's mm-hmm. no doubt that um, the, the tour was a small group of people then, maybe 40 players, something okay. like that. And um, uh, there was no Q school or anything like that. I always say that if you didn't have a criminal record and you could play a little bit, <laughs> they invited you to come on. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, uh, I was I was very scared. I was I was very kind of unprepared in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, in many ways, I was very unprepared. But um, you know, looking back on it, um, I guess it worked. Right. Uh, there, I I would, did not have a lot of real early success. I played nine times that year. I was seventeen, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and I I actually didn't win for some time. I was I think I was six years before I won the first time. Right. Now you got married. I think the year before you won, as I recall reading. Uh, and, and that, I did. That, that, had I to, did. that had to be an adjustment. You know, you're out there by yourself, and then all of a sudden you get married, and now you've got a husband, and you're trying to play the tour. That had to be quite an adjustment for you, though, wasn't it? Well, yeah, and then, you know, before, kind of before I knew what had hit me, um, I was having a baby. Oh, boy. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so I, um, um, I really didn't, I didn't play much, I didn't play it hardly at all pregnant. Okay. And I really, what I kind of thought in my world was, you know, I was going to be this wonderful little homemaker, and that part of my life was over, but not quite. Right. So, um, uh, the, when the, the, the tour came to Midland, where, where we live, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I'm trying to think, I don't know, I think, I think Tui, my son, was only three or four months old. Right. Anyway, I finished fourth. Wow. And um, it kind of, you know, we we had a little bit of freedom those days because you can haul a baby with you or somebody can keep a baby. And so we went on to Dallas the next week. And it just turned out that, you know, we thought this is a time in your life when you can do this a little bit. And that's what we did. Yippie was um, in the insurance business, and he had a little freedom also. Right. So, um, uh that's what we did. And then, you know, life began to change some when, uh, Tui started school. Right. But, uh, initially we had him in a private school and I, I must say he missed an awful lot of kindergarten and first grade, but, um, you know, the school helped us a lot, but once he got older and was playing sports himself and, um, you know, had his own life too. Um, I, and I say that, I should say that I should, um, put a little asterisk at that because he had his own life too, right? And that was important that he got to do those things. But don't don't um, forget that he got to do a lot of special things. Well, that's true um, because, because of our traveling, right? What we did. Don't you think? And I remember when Mary Langdon, my oldest, and we were traveling. And I was playing the tour, and Sissy, you know, had quit playing just that one year we were married, and she she took the kids along. And I think it was first or second grade. The first grade teacher says she's going to learn more on the road and see more things and learn history and all those things more on the road than she could ever learn in this classroom at, you know, that young of age. And I, I think those experiences are priceless. Plus you got to spend time with him as well. But when you, you know, we look back last, you know, a week or so in Scotland, Stacy Lewis wins as a mom. And you look at all the moms who've played the LBGA and won. That's an amazing feat to be able to do both. And I, I'm just, I, I admire the ladies that are able to do that, but that was so cool to see Stacy win 
Uh, of course, they weren't there to visit with her, but uh, and you know that feeling that, that she had uh, Sunday when she went in Scotland. Well, sure. And as as life has gone on and time has gone on, um, it's a it's it'll never be easy, but it's a whole lot easier um, for a woman playing the tour with children because of the great daycare that's out there. Smuckers mm-hmm. is responsible for the daycare, and um, for those who maybe haven't heard the tale of some of that, what they do is they have a consistent um, team of, I think, three people mm-hmm. um, who work the daycare. They travel and work the daycare. And there's a truck that travels the daycare, um, uh, everything that m- sets it up. So right, then, right. depending on depending on where you end up um, when you get to a city, uh, these people make it look like, just like your school looked last week. Mm. And um, so for these kids, it's it's a wonderful um, part of consistency. And, um, you know, they range anywhere from, in, you know, infants to, um, I don't know, 11, 12 years old. Right. Um, just in case you don't want to go watch mom play that day, you can go stay over there. Right. And that's so cool because I remember, you know, my kids even now that they're grown ups and some of them, Mary Lane has a couple, they, they're days they remember on tours being in the daycare. And like you said, consistency and safety. And, and of course, I was playing. It was a lot easier for me because, you know, I wasn't the, the mom trying to play. I was just the dad out there. I had a great wife doing that. But it is, it's amazing. I remember my sister traveling and doing all that. And it's, it, it's a big thing for these ladies to be able to do both. But I'm a, I just admire them. I think it's amazing that they can uh, do both and, and, and be successful as a mom and a player. It's just, uh, you know, I'm always, like I said, it's just amazing to watch them. And then when they win, it's so cool that, that the kids can be part of that. But did you have an instructor? I know you and Bob Toski were good buddies. Uh, did you have an instructor? Well, when I was when I was a little kid, um, after I, those first times I was hitting golf balls at the driving range, I ended up, um, there was a, I think the hotel is still there in St. Louis, that there was quite a nice hotel, the Chase Hotel. Mm-hmm. And um, a golf pro had a, a little hitting place in the basement in the winter. Wow. And his name was Bob Green, and Bob was also the pro at a little nine-hole um, private club that was in Forest Park. Okay. So my dad started taking me there to hit balls in the, win- in the winter, and... Um, of course, Bob Green started helping me too. So, in the early years, it was my it was Bob Green and my father. That's cool. Yeah, those are those are times like my dad was my instructor. To just the, you got to spin together and 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 you you just I always remember that. And of course, my dad was a club pro for forty five years. But it was actually kind of my mom that was doing a lot of the instruction early on because dad was in the pro shop. She made sure my grip was right and and she whatever dad told her to you know watch for me to do she did so. Uh, it's always amazing, you know, and David caddy for me and, and, you know, he just, that was a big part of, of our, it's a team. Uh, and it, it's just so cool to have your dad part of that. That's where so many of the kids that listen to this podcast and parents out there, it's just, you know, there's a time when, you know, these are priceless times. And if you get to spend that time with your, with your child, it's, it's an amazing time for sure. But you, uh, runner up, I think four different times or five different times in the majors. How difficult is it to win a major? I mean, we all talk about, you know, you know, the players that do that. Apparently, I found it pretty hard. Yeah, well, me too. I, I find it very difficult. But that is, it's, it's a Well, very... I, I, I won a couple that became majors after. Right. And they were pretty major to us at the time, but they were not labeled majors. Um, 
like the um, former dinosaur, which right. is now ANA, right? Um, like Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, I, I'm so far past that; it does not. Um, I, I don't even think about it anymore. Right, but you won. I, um, you won 26 had, times on I, the LPGA. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, 28. 28. Okay. They only count 26 as official. One of those 28, though, was a team tournament with Joanne Carner. Okay. Um, but, and I know this is true in men's golf too, but in women's golf, they've they've a little bit, um, you know, made the rules as they've gone along because mm-hmm. one tournament that I won that had some um, 50 players in it was not counted as an official event. Ah. And now they have official events, you know, that have 12 players in them. Right, right. So that's, a, but, you know, that that's just a statement of fact. It means next to nothing to me anymore. Um, but you won, you know, I you won, you won multiple times. One year you won six times, one year you won four times. I mean, that's an amazing feat. I mean, you didn't get into World Golf Hall of Fame by just, uh, you know, hitting balls on the driving range. I mean, that's an amazing feat and an amazing career to be able to do that. But unfortunately, you had a back injury, and that uh, that gets a lot of players. How hard was it to play when you're, you know, trying to, have, you know, you've got this bad back? That had to be difficult to play under that, did wasn't it? Well, yeah, I had times when I couldn't play at all. Okay. Um, so it's it first. I will tell you, and I think people may appreciate this. They always say that a lot of back trouble is um, stress related. Okay. So <laughs> we were in, we were going we were at Port St. Lucie, Florida, and we were playing a match play tournament for Sears. And um uh it you know, I mean, it it meant a lot to everybody. I, I m- many of us had not played a lot of match play, certainly mm-hmm. as a pro. Or I did play match play as an amateur, but I never really loved match play like like a lot of people do because I, um, I don't know. I just, I found it a little bit too personal for me. Right. Um, so about two weeks, 10 days, two weeks before the tournament, these seeds come out as to who's going to play who. Well, I am, I drew Laura Baugh. Oh boy. Who is the absolute like 19 year old queen of the tour. Right. Beautiful. She's a, She's a good gal. She's a lot of fun. We were friends, all those things. But all my other friends were billing our matches Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> and, yes. That's and, terrible. And it be, it became a real thing with me that I play well. Right. You know, and that I win this match. And I think I got myself so psyched up for this match. So the the very first back injury I ever was aware of, um, I was on the practice team warming up that day. And, you know, the soil is a little sandy. Mm-hmm. And I, mean, I I felt one of my right foot slip a little bit. And that sort of created a little hitch in my hip or my back. Right. And um, I went in the locker room and I tried to stretch it out a little bit. We didn't have any physical therapists or anything like that at that point. Right. And um, uh, I, I went to play. And every hole I was getting more and more bent over. Mm. And so my back was going into spasms. Mm-hmm. But I played some of the best golf of my life, and I won six and four. That's awesome. That, that was that was my horrible first back experience. And um, I'm not, I, to tell you the truth, today I can't tell you, I don't even remember if I finished the tournament. Right. 
Right. But um, it was, uh, but it, you know, it wasn't good. And um, so what happened is I apparently had had a herniated disc Ooh. or two. And, um, but I, I was, I was different in the case of a lot of people, but I never really had the severe leg pain, mm. the nerve pain mm-hmm. that people cannot live with. Right. You know, so I had, I had immovable back and back pain. Mm. Um, and, you know, a back where you just do such a flinch at impact that it wasn't good. Right. Um, so I got, I got pretty much well from that. I think maybe I didn't play for about three weeks is mm-hmm. my best memory. Mm-hmm. And it healed up, and I was pretty much well. didn't happen again for quite a while, but it did happen again in about a year and a half. And each time that it happened, it became more and more chronic, where I was never right. completely free of it. Right. And um, uh, when I when I finally gave up playing, um, I was in pretty bad shape with my back, and I I first had um, a procedure that people were trying with a papaya enzyme injection in mm-hmm. the disc, and it, for me it did not work. It made me much worse. Oh gosh! And I I went after that in um, 1985 and had conventional surgery. Okay, yeah. If you get to the point where you so, can't even live. That's the last resort, is having the surgery, no question. Yeah, it, it was affecting so many more things than just playing ball. Right, just daily that, life. You yeah. know, yes. But, you yes. know, we're, we're going to get into the TV part of it, but you get to captain the Solheim Cup in 96 and, and 98. I mean, what was that experience like for you as the captain? I cannot even tell you how much I loved it. Oh, I bet. Um, I I didn't have the college experience, and this, so this is the first kind of, team thing I'd ever been on and I, I, apparently I have a little maternal instinct <laughs> yes um, you do so um, it uh, it just it just suited me perfectly I really loved it and um, I would have to say it was one of the great one of the great memories and one of the great things that my husband and I got to do because he loved it too right and right. Um, uh, it was um, um you do. You feel a tremendous responsibility uh-huh. to do things as well as possible for your players, because you know they're out there um, giving it their all every day, and you know you you, you just can't take it lightly. Um, and, what, what were some of the things you had to prepared. do? Well, of course, you know the pairings are the well. The first terrible thing you have to do is tell a couple people they haven't made the team. Right. That you didn't pick them. That's that's awful. That's your worst day. Yeah. Um, but you make every arrangement, and and captains, I think, you know, today have a lot more um, support and people who do an awful lot of things for them. Mm-hmm. In, in my case, there was there wasn't even an assistant captain. Well, they they you didn't get an assistant captain, but the president of the LPGA would help you. Right. So you were just basically on your own. And the first place I went was Wales. Mm. So um, it wasn't just, you know, drop-dead simple. Right. And um, uh, but between clothes and between keeping everybody happy with everybody else, and you know, you have to baby some and you have to be a little tougher with some others. Mm-hmm. Um, and then making the pairings, um, which is um, obviously that's one of the more important things. You might say... You can't go wrong when you have all these good players. 
But, you know, golf is a little bit of personality, too. And the fact is you can go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you have to sit people out. Yes, and you do have to sit people out. Um, But uh, I loved every minute of it. We were getting our rears kicked as of Saturday night, and we won over there. Mm. Um, I, uh, we won, I don't, we either won nine or ten matches in the final Well, how, day. how you know, when it, people have watched it, it's a lot, you know, it's got to be a lot tougher captain, not captaining, but just playing over there versus, and we saw at Glen Eagles the last time around with Suzanne, you know, Pedersen making that putt and just playing in front of, I mean, not, just a crowd that's not pulling for you. That's a difficult thing, and now you've got to captain these players to try to get them hey expect them they're going to clap when you miss a putt or they're going to uh cheer loud yeah. for their team that's a that's that's part of the captain's job and it is a tough job but you know like yeah and, and but every year that the Solheim Cup matches are played and I'm sure it's the same with the Ryder Cup to a great degree every year they're played people get tougher and tougher in that regard mm. and um and they they not only they not only expect it um but they actually um you know know how to handle it mm-hmm so I, I think, um, and, and now seeing so much golf like that, you know, on television, I think people are just uh, way more prepared. But one thing my husband told me that first time when we went to Wales, he said in other sports, maybe football, um, it's sometimes considered an advantage to be the away team mm-hmm. because you don't lose your focus on anything else. And I can certainly see that now because, you you really only have each other, mm-hmm. and uh, there just aren't a lot of things to distract you like there are when you're playing at home. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I, I think, and and you're kind of mo- motivated. You're kind of uber focused on it. I know that for me, I've only played one Ryder Cup, and that was over at the Belfry, and we won. But I played the President's Cup at home, and it's a little different feeling being at home. Maybe more pressure because you're at home uh, to be playing. Yeah, I think so. I do. I do. I think I think you're right. Okay, so you're the main analyst, and we work together a bunch. How hard is it to be the, a former captain and be the analyst? I mean, we're going to get more into the TV, but be the analyst there at the Solheim Cup. You're not pulling for the other side or for your for the USA, but that's going to be difficult to not show some favoritism, and you know, because you got that USA pride that as a former captain, and uh, that's going to be a tricky balance for you sometimes. Um, I think it is, and you know, we are pretty well trained not to say. Not to say we, right. as far as team plays and so on, and um, kind of have learned that lesson pretty well over the years. Um, but the truth is, um, it's come it's come to a point now where you have friends on both sides. True, you know of those teams, and um, even though you want you want your your home country and your side to win, uh, you you just really don't root against anybody. True, I agree and with it's, that. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, um, it's it's some of the greatest. It's some of the, I don't know. I just and in Scotland, Glen Eagles is a good example. Some of the best competition I've ever seen. Don't you agree that and, it's amazing I mean, how their games elevated under the pressure and how they handle the pressure? It's amazing to me as a player well, yeah. and now as an analyst watching it. It's amazing that they can handle the pressure and their games go to a whole new level. Maybe it's concentration. I don't know. You know, Jim, that's true, though. I think my my bit, I watch other sports. In, in every sport, the things that people do um, 
that are most timely and under the most pressure just amaze me. Mm-hmm. Um, they really do. And um, I, I guess that's, that's part of the um, charm about Tiger because he did those kinds of things almost more often than anybody. Oh, yes. And thrived on uh, you know, it. Loved uh, it. Yeah. Lived yeah. for it. And that's that's I agree. I think you know, and that's and that's another question. I mean, what separates the elite player from the average? Is it that desire to beat them or to that heart? I mean, where do you think separates the elite? You've seen it, men and women. What separates that top player from just the average player? Uh, you know, several things. I think I think confidence is a factor, although. Um, like I was a player, and I don't know about you, but I was a player, I had to see some good things happening to be confident. I agree. I didn't just, I wasn't just confident because I was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I had to, I, I always say I kind of had, I had to have all my ducks in a row. Mm. Um, so, but that's not true with everybody. Some no. people are just confident people. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some people that works with a game like golf, because I, I your your listeners might laugh or be mad at me, but the truth is every golfer on every tour has always wondered how come some people who don't seem quite that sharp no. <laughs> are so successful. Yeah, well, well, I agree. I mean, but, I've, I've walked off there yeah, a lot of times going, yeah. like, how did they just – I've played rounds of golf with a guy, and I'm going, like, I just beat him by 10. I look in there, he beat me by 3. And I'm going like, yeah, you know, know, it just doesn't. It's it's the way that it's the way the game's played. I mean, match play I think is a completely different animal because not always does necessarily does the player that's playing the best or the best player wins. Uh, it's the one that kind of gets it done, uh, and that's why I think we like right. match play so much. But in in metal play, it kind of separates itself. And and but I think we've all as golfers and golf fans, we've watched the NCAA, the Ryder Cup, the Solheim Cup, Presidents Cup, uh, and we watched the USAM now and. In all the USGA events that they play in the amateur side, and it's it's fun to watch match play, and I think people just love that one on one. But some people like one on one better than others, and I'm I agree with you. Sometimes, you know, when I work with Dr. Coop as a sports psychologist, it's like, hey, Doc, I just can't wake up one day and decide I'm going to be positive. I got to see some kind of a reason, not so much a result, yeah. but some good things happen. And I'm I'm kind of that same mindset. But when I got that confidence, right. I didn't lose it. I just kept going with it, and and I think that's uh, right. I think that's what everybody. Well, I had, I saw I at some points in my playing life had it, mm-hmm. but oh, it wasn't my it wasn't my wasn't my nature. Right. And um, uh, so we're trying to talk about what separates people. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that separates people, whether it's a natural ability to be a fairly confident person, mm-hmm. or whether you're confident um, because you have practiced so well, worked so hard. You know, uh, Annika's one who explained to me, which I, I should have realized this, but I didn't. And she made me understand that all the working out she did and mm-hmm. all the physical things she did to be ready to play golf all made her um, more confident in herself. Yeah, preparation. Because she she always knew she had gone the last mile. And, and this very strong body that, that she then created, um, you know, just made it made her feel better about herself well i would tell kids that i would i tell kids if i tell my daughters when they were playing it's like have you done everything you can to prepare 
physically, mentally, anything? And they go, yeah. I said, then just go play. And if it turns out great, if it didn't, then you can't leave saying I wasn't prepared. That's when people get upset with themselves when they know, hey, I could have done this, could have done that. They just maybe weren't as prepared. But you're, you're right. And it's changed. I mean, they work out now. They're they're, I mean, people ask me, why are they, I don't know if they're better or not, but they've got better education. They're more informed. Uh, the equipment's better. Everything's better right now than it used to be. Well, and at every turn, um, at every turn, you can almost daily see the best players in the world play golf on television. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a big thing with today's golfer. I mean, the way I see it, people like Jordan Spieth grew up watching Tiger in his heyday. Right. Um, you know, uh, it, he, and it's amazing that his longevity now, because now he plays against kids that he, um, I don't know, semi-raised, at mm-hmm. least through the TV screen, raised them as golfers a bit. Um, the other thing that I think sets people apart is I think some people, and I, I do, I was one of those pe- these people, they have a really strong will. Exactly. And there's something about a will in the game that um, will just carry you through sometimes, when even when you don't have it. Mm-hmm. That's true. And so you just, you know, you, 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 it's, it's, it's not a Pollyanna thing like, oh, it'll be okay in a minute. It's just a strong will that I'm, I'm going to find a way. You know, Chip Beck told um, us at the, at the Ryder Cup, he was telling us one night at one of the dinners, he goes, the will to win will beat mechanical breakdown every time. And I kind of had to scratch my head and think about it, but he's right. I mean, the desire to win beats everything most of the time. I mean, it's that inner desire to succeed. I think it, it overcomes some of the your shortcomings in that. And then I think another factor is, um, you know, how, how can you ha- can you still perform when it's when the pressure's really on, when it's really hard. True. And um, you know, some I think today most can. There's a few who just never quite get there. Mm-hmm. But um, most can today, and I don't. I don't have the answer for that, other than maybe they get more opportunities. To, yeah, and they, and they um, get comfortable. That. And they get comfortable in that position. Uh, yeah. And I think you yeah. see that. You know, you'll see a guy get in there for the first time, and then they, they have a terrible day. And you got to learn something from your mistakes. But I think the more times you're in it, the more times you get comfortable. I always felt more comfortable uh, playing with a chance to win. A, I was playing better uh, than when I was just barely making the cuts and I was struggling. But I always felt comfortable in that position. I guess I guess because I was playing better, I had that confidence and, and you know that desire to, to, to win. And I think those are things. That, and I think that's the strange part when you hear someone – get done with a round of golf and, they, and they're up there at the top and he said, I didn't trust it. Well, why wouldn't you? You're playing great. You didn't just get in here, you know, hacking it around. It's when you're barely making the cuts when you need to be concerned. So I think it's the people that are well, able to I, overcome that. Yeah. I am. Um, I actually had times in the game when my hand shook. Really? And, and, and my leg shook. I, I was not, I was not the steely person. I think a lot of people think I was, um, but, and so I think, I think some people are blessed to not have nerves like that. Mm-hmm. I can tell you two of them because they have whipped, I've talked to both of them about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Nancy Lopez said she never experienced the kind of shaking nerves people talk about. Wow. And, um, and I think Jack Nicholas has said exactly the same thing. 
Yeah, well, those are so pretty good ones. They, yeah, so they get more they get more hyped up for it mm-hmm. than they do nervous, which is if you can channel it that way. If you know if that's your personality, that's great. Well, I've heard people um, say when they were ner- everybody's personality when they were nervous on the first tee, they get over the ball, they get uber focused. I think it was Padraig Harrington made that comment. It's when he wasn't nervous. I was just kind of relaxed and then got over the ball and panicked. I think that's, you know, I think for those guys like Nicholas and Nancy and the people you're talking about is they're uber-focused in that pressure. I mean, I know the pressure. Talk about your hands shaking. I remember at the Ryder Cup playing Seve. I mean, I'm trying to put the ball on the tee with my right hand, and then my right hand's shaking so bad, and I grab my left hand, it's shaking, and all of a sudden the earth's shaking. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what I was doing, you know. And, I mean, I, I know that feeling. I mean, it doesn't happen often, but it's just it's crazy, and it does happen. But those guys – you know that's why they were great and gals were great they didn't they didn't get into that and didn't worry about it but you know judy we always talked about you getting into tv how did you get in tv because uh, you know you're kind of quiet and you don't really you know get out there looking for the uh, notoriety i love the way you do your job you say the right amount of words in the right amount of time but how did you get into tv well i'd always loved golf on television and i was at a point in time when i had left playing my back was really bad and um to be very honest, I, I I was glad not to win or lose any day. I'd had such a rough go at the end of my playing. Um, I, mm-hmm. I had played really poorly, and I tried to blame it on everything but my back, and I finally just packed it in. Um, but ABC Sports was looking for someone to do what Bob Rosberg did on the fairways at the Women's Open. And they wanted a woman mm-hmm. to do what he did. And he told the people at ABC that I wasn't playing and they ought to try me. And that's how I got my chance. Isn't that cool? And did he, what did, I mean, I know now they just hand you a mic and say, go talk. Did Bob help you with some stuff? And what the. Oh, he took me out in a cart for about 10 minutes and he said stuff like, <laughs> now when I'm in a car five, I stand about here. And you're trying to get somewhere where you can talk, but they can't hear you. And when I'm in a part three, it I'm telling you, it was about 12 minutes of training, and I went out there. <laughs> but what was different then, Jim, and this is way before you did it, was <clears throat> on-course commentators now have a, have a space that is theirs. And mm-hmm. they take over. Even though they don't see pictures, um, you know, they are kind of controlling the audio. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Then you only answered a question if you were asked a question. So the first person I ever spoke to on television was Jim McKay. Oh, wow. And so they just, they would ask you, and Judy, you're there. And so then you would say something, but you you, you did not control your own switches. Um, none of those things. Yeah, it's changed a lot. I mean, you've you've done every role. Uh, you've walked and you've been in you know the 18th analyst now for the the Golf Channel for years. But you know, what's your favorite role to do when you're you know if, of all the roles you get to do when you're doing TV? Uh, what's your favorite role? I have to tell you that my experience for 20 plus years um, on course on the PGA Tour was. Um, it was great. It was valuable to me. I've, I've often mm-hmm. said I, I should have tried to do that first and then played because there are there are things you learn, and some of them have to do with the golf swing, but most of them not. Most of them are just the way mm-hmm. players deal with, you know, good and bad. and just. Mm-hmm. But 
I mean, I I had a period of about 25 years where I saw every great player in the game that was coming up, and it was you sure did already a factor, yeah. you know. Um, I walked. Yeah. With, I mean, it's, I walked with Tiger 2000 at St Andrews every day. Oh my! So wow. You know, I have to um, that. I think those experiences on the PGA Tour are the highlight of TV I've done. Now I've seen some great things. I was mm-hmm. I, I, I was no I was on course when David Duvall shot fifty nine. I was okay. um, with him out there in the desert, but then I was an analyst, the analyst in Phoenix, when Annika shot fifty nine. So were you really? Yeah, wow! I just I've had some extraordinary things that that I've seen that uh, in in many ways. I guess it's a different kind of joy or satisfaction or something, but um, that you saw it, and if you called it well and all that, it it makes you happy like you played a great round of golf or a good round yeah, of golf. Yeah, and you're still part of the game. I don't even and know still great rounds of, of golf anymore, good rounds of golf. Well, no, that's when you and I play at Williamsburg Country Club is when we have our great rounds of I golf. I know, that's, that's when uh, I – sh- everybody should know because Jerry Fultz will tell them if I don't tell it that I hit <laughs> – I hit my 140-yard stand wedge. We never <laughs> sure found did. the ball, and I went to find it. I was still, I'm still looking for it. <laughs> we, I'm just glad you came out there to play with it. You've kind of realized when you play with me. I mean, as soon as I hit a bad shot and it's offline, I just get in the cart and ride to the next hole. So I only play about 11 holes, so I never really get that tired playing anymore. But it's it's a lot more fun. But I think you're right. I think you see these great players, and you you realize that even. When they're not playing great, they do hit bad shots. And when you're a player, you don't think anybody hits a bad shot. Yeah. I think you you watch their strategy. You, you get that front row seat. You get to describe what you're seeing. And I, I agree. I got to see Tiger a bunch when I was doing USA Network 2002 to 6. I mean, I had that front row seat all the time. And I was always amazed around the greens, the shots that he would hit. And it's the stuff that we all would practice, but we just didn't have the guts to put it in in play yeah and he did and he could turn he could turn i don't know about you but he could turn a 72 into a 68 as good as anybody i've ever seen in my life yeah he was and, unreal and don't you think that's back to that thing of will that you can mm-hmm. you can you can create a number when when i was a yeah. little girl um i think it was hogan who was talking about other talking about good players um whatever and and he said um, everybody's good when they're good. How good is your bad day? That's true. Yeah. Well said. That's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I think that's what made Tiger great. I mean, you don't go with that cut strength that he made and had for all those years, even on his worst. I, I remember doing USA. I was with Bill McAtee, and he had about a 10-funder to keep that streak going. And I said, I bet my life on it. And then he missed. And I said, well, I guess I'm going to die today. But, I mean, it was just one of those deals where – you knew he was going to make it. Right. I mean, he had that ability to make the clutch putt. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas, I mean, all, that's what all the greats do. But, you know, you know, it's just, and it is. TV's been awesome. I'm glad I get to, to do it. I've just loved doing it. I love being part of it. I love to watch, you know, get that front row seat to kind of describe that. Try to give some of those experiences I had. I don't know everything, but I just kind of enjoy it. You keep, you're, you're still part of the game. But I think one of the coolest things that maybe happened for you, 2000 World Golf Hall of Fame inductee, I mean, did you ever dream as a little girl that, I mean, no. you would make it into the World Golf Hall of no. Fame? I mean, that had to be one of the most emotional, rewarding nights you've ever had uh, well, as in golf. it was. It was. And, you know, my son was a grown guy at that point, could be there. And um, um, I got a little I got a little emotional about 
you know, our years of traveling and leaving him and mm-hmm. me leaving home and this and that. And I know Jackie Burke, he got up behind me and he said, <laughs> he said he didn't know he was going to be standing in casual water. So, <laughs> yeah. That's the only Jackie yes, could say. thank you. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it meant a great deal to me. And uh, I, I'm not, and, and please take this right or help me through it. I'm not sure I love. Oh, I will. I'm not sure I love the game like I see a lot of people love the game. Mm-hmm. But it, the game kind of found me. It turned out I could play a little bit, and then there was always somebody who, um, you know, wanted to push me a little farther and play a little better. And I was really, I think, I was very much a pleaser, and I, I was very much trying to please my father. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, mm-hmm. and we, at, at, before he passed away, we did actually talk about that. Um, but the one thing that was not part of my learning to play as a kid that I, 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 I didn't know it was wrong then, but I sure know it's wrong now, and I would encourage people, is I, I was never really allowed to goof off with the game and have fun. Um, really? Okay. My game was always a fairly serious endeavor. And um, in my father's words, you don't have to play golf, but if you're going to play golf, you got to give it your best, you know? Right. So we were we were pretty modest people financially, and my mother was very ill. Um, so all of my growing mm-hmm. up years, my mother was very ill, and she passed away when I was 11. So our life was just mm. a little more serious. And, sure, um, sure. Uh, but I, I, I have the greatest respect when I see these grown kids who play great golf and have a close relationship with their dad, um, mm-hmm. like a Justin Thomas. Um, you know, um, and th- there have been a number of, of young women on the LPGA Tour. Brooke Henderson has a great relationship with right. her dad um, because I think that's so healthy. And one one way that can be healthy is you have to be able to the the child player has got to be able to tell the parent um, they don't like what, how we're doing this once in a while or they have to be able to say no once in a while because you almost have to have a line and you probably know this where you're where you're more teacher student and not father kid. And that's a tough line. Uh, that's in the book, Only One Shot, uh, that my dad, we talked about that. My dad and I have had that, where it is tough to separate. It was, for me, as uber competitive as I am. My daughter, Kathleen, who talent-wise I thought was as good as any of my children, but she was like you, a little bit more of a peacemaker. Uh, and it was always tough for me to draw that line. Oh, here's dad hollering at me uh, and not, okay, I'm trying to help you as an not an instructor, but just trying to teach you. And that is a tough line uh, for parents. And I think that's why I allowed VJ Trolio to teach all my kids. I thought it was easier for him to be the instructor right. and me be the dad that took what he had. I taught him how to play the game. Uh, he was kind of the guy that they could bump things off. Like, hey, dad's driving me crazy. Tell him to yes. let's do that. Yeah. So, and so that's healthy. I think, that's I think good. It is healthy. And I think you just saw the uh, Tyler Strafacci that won the USAM with his dad on the bag. I mean, it was so cool. And you saw Ali Osborne with his dad on the bag. I mean, it was cool to see that relationship. And, oh, and, and I, it is. I love I see that. Some... I just, I, yeah, I love I, that. I just think. And imagine, I think so... as you, as these kids grow older, 
Now their dads already uh-huh. know it, but as these kids grow older, what a treasured thing that that will be. Um, and they have no idea at this stage in their life what they did for their parents no. when they exactly. when their relationship was that good that they could enjoy competing with them on the bag. Um, I think the the biggest thing is to make sure it's about the kids that you're not doing it for your own as the parents benefit and living your life through them. I think it's important to make sure you keep it that the kids are the focus on that. You know, I think how you behave on the golf course and that sort of thing, um, your parents should have the hammer once in a while. Oh, yeah. But not how you play the game. I mean, that has to be more of a discussion about how you play the game. It shouldn't be, Mm -hmm. you cannot do that, you have to do this. Right. And... um, Anyway, so I love, I think all those relationships are so healthy. I, a quick little story, when um, Stacy Lewis played the last U.S. Open, she played as an amateur. Um, uh-huh. Her dad, Dale, was caddying for her. And um, she really had a good open. I mean, she was contending for a while. Uh, and But I asked him about how he did that, how he caddied for her, and how, why that relationship's so good. And he said... I think it's good because I'm her father until I put the bag on my shoulder. Then I'm her, <laughs> then I'm her caddy. Exactly. Yeah, so <laughs> then I'm the boss. It's hard She's to the do. boss. It's hard to do that, but that's what you have to do. Yeah, I remember my dad, I hit it in the bunker at Doral for the first 11 holes, I think, every every bunker that we could hit. And he told, tells me on the 12th hole, he goes, you hit it in one more bunker, you're raking your own. <laughs> and, of course, I buried it in a lip. Of course, I didn't rake the bunker. But <laughs> I think it was – and those are the times I'll always remember. I mean, Dad being out there caddy, and even though he was my instructor, I think, you know, you knew deep down he had your best at it in his – you know, what he was trying to do for you. But I think that's that's well said because I think it's such a – time and i do i those years i got the caddy for my girls and even sissy is just priceless i always remember that and i always had to try to remember okay this is about them yeah Uh, and and i think that's the tricky part that's the tough i think parents struggle with is that balance so my dad as hard as he was on me kind of working at the game and so on he had one solid rule which he lived he lived up to which was he would never be mad at me if i lost that's a great rule. And it is a good rule because, um, you know, for, for all the tough times and maybe hollering back and forth and whatever, whatever, that's when you when you actually lose is when you need somebody to put their arm around you. Um, mm. So you can analyze it the next day, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. And, I, you know, that, that's so that's a great rule. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to end this podcast with that rule because I think that's a great way to end it. And I can't thank you enough for being part of this and being part of my – you know, one thing I love about you is you encourage me when I'm doing TV. And and, and that's what probably made you a great Solheim captain. I may be having a bad day where I'm mispronouncing names or I'm getting yelled at. And you'll just look over and say, you okay? And I think that's what makes you so great. And I think that's why we all love you and love working with you. And I just can't thank you enough for being on my podcast. Well, you know you're welcome. And, and part of part of what makes us all a little bit better is we have a sense of humor. And we can, we actually, oh, yeah. we can all laugh at ourselves. And in television, if you can't laugh at yourself, you won't last long. <laughs> No, and I, you know how I, and for the folks who are listening, if you hear this next time on the LPGA, this is how I get Judy to laugh. To 12. To 12. And she knows. Yes. That is, <laughs> she, that is she when knows. whatever has happened is slightly awkward, and 
we, exactly. we need to leave it. <laughs> exactly. And I think we'll leave it on that. But, Judy, thanks for being with us. And uh, I look forward to working with you as many times as we can. And we'll see you in Arkansas. Thank you, Jim. Love to your family. Bye. Thank you. Bye.